0: Have a little bit of I don't know mind because you have to leave space for what is new and what is truer, truer forms of yourself, truer forms of what's possible. You have to leave space for that to come in. We're all trying to feel like we're doing it right. We're all trying to feel like we fit, we're all trying to feel like we belong. And we need to not let yoga be another place where we're have all this criticism. It's like, can this be a place where we can just like sink in and relax? Like if you want to try to do it right, all the other areas of your life. Like, let this be a place where there isn't any right. You know, the craving to drink, actually, I cannot believe it. I would have never believed it. And I remember people used to tell me, like, one day you're just not gonna think about it. And I would be like, fuck off, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> like, I was like oh, really? You know, I was like, no, nah, not for me. Like, I'm gonna think about this forever. Um, we think we're so special, we're so different, but yeah. it just, it just went away. It went away.
1: Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm Amanda Patton, your host, the leading expert on nothing. However, I am in recovery and I love it so much so that I launched this podcast where we get to talk to people who are trudging the road to happy freaking destiny across all the different ways that people get there. So while this is definitely through the lens of recovery and sobriety, the stories and the themes that we'll be covering are universally Humor. So love, loss, grief, excitement, parenting, outside issues, purpose. God stuff, whatever. In the words of the great Ted Lasso by way of Walt Whitman, I want to be curious, not judgmental. So like I said, we'll be talking to people in recovery. We're going to be talking to experts and practitioners who help those people along their path in recovery. And we're just really excited to hear people tell their stories and to be inspired by them and to create a community of support for everybody in recovery and people who know and love people who struggle with addiction issues and whatnot. So anyways, we're so glad you're here. and thanks for listening hey listeners just a quick disclaimer before we get into the interview the views and opinions expressed by those interviewed on I have 12 questions or myself are just opinions and our own personal experiences we are not doctors or therapists or psychiatrists so none of the recommendations or opinions expressed should be considered medical or psychological advice. There may be adult language contained in some of these episodes, as well as triggers around conversations regarding rape, sexual abuse, drug and alcohol usage, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and many other uh, topics that will come up when we are discussing addiction and recovery from addiction. So please use discretion. This podcast is not for everybody. Thank you. Hey, hey, sober family and our entire listener community. So we have a really great show for uh, for you guys today. And our guest is Cole Chant. And for those of you who don't know, let me catch you up real quick. So she's an international yoga teacher and a recovery educator. And um, she's joining us actually from Bali, (laughs) Bali, it's Bali, right? Oh, yeah, it's uh-huh. like a fitness thing uh, from Bali, Bali, where she's running retreats. Um, and we have had a really fun time scheduling around the 14 hour time difference. So like that's been, <laughs> that's been super fun. I was like doing the math on it. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, but she's a trauma informed yoga teacher and addiction recovery educator, uh, teaching in many capacities from retreats to trainings, festivals and prisons. Uh, and she truly believes in the medicine and movements and the power of curiosity, the wisdom found in community, which we definitely know a lot about uh, being in recovery. So her teaching fuse embodied flow, breath, neuroscience, yogic and Buddhist philosophies rolled up with compassionate self-inquiry. That's like a that's like a word hug, you know, it's just you're just So today, Cole, we're going to talk to you about your recovery support offering. Uh, It's called Emerge Recovery. It's a live online journey to recovery steeped in love, acceptance, and empowerment. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. And then, of course, your yoga instruction to me was delicious and comforting. And, you know, I kind of, I'm not going to say I suck at yoga because I don't want to say mean things to myself, but like, I'm not really that good at it. And I, it's not really my thing, um, Mm -hmm. or it wasn't just because it seemed out of my reach somehow. Um, And I've always been more into like running and CrossFit and like hardcore, fast, you know, torturous things as opposed to these like nurturing slow type of deals. So, and I used to think it was kind of boring to have to sit there and be still. Um, But when I started doing your yoga videos, um, I... It was just totally different and when i went to your yoga and writing retreat in 20 late 2021 um it was just a really special approach it was fun it was funny it was lighthearted, and you could tell it was based on self-love and and perpetual discovery so um mm. the, it, and i felt comfortable you know and i also felt like i didn't need to be good at it you know um so anyways i'm, I'm talking i have so much to say about you before i've even introduced you but i did want to just Plug all your stuff and make sure that people know you can check out um all of her you know offerings at coldchanceyoga.com or on Instagram at yoga. And I've even tried out a few sessions too on YouTube. And you know, um I did one this morning. You were in a cave in Sicily and it said God, it I came see- with a, it came with a gong boy and then I saw Josh walk over there. <laughs> I, like, I love that was- one. I love it. I was like, "Wait, it came with a gong boy," and then he walked (laughs) up, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It was funny. Um, But there's sessions on there, and you can also try on CCY Studio, which is Cold Chance Yoga, on her website. Uh, gives you access to curated premium content, Asana lab library, longer sessions, and then you can get early access to like retreats and, you know, a bunch of other cool stuff. So definitely check that out. And then of course the Mindfulish school, which is rebellious yoga teacher training, uh, which I, which I love. Um, And also the resources page is just brimming. I mean, I thought I was pretty well-read in recovery literature, but there are things on there that I hadn't heard of and I, I'm, I'm super excited. So, Um, definitely want to encourage our listeners to go check out the resources page on her website, um, and check out all the, it's books, it's meetings, it's all kinds of things. So anyways, I've asked Cole here today to share her story, um, about getting clean and sober and also just all the beautiful, difficult things that she's had to go through, um, to get to where she is today. So Cole officially welcome to the show.
0: Hello. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. It's a so been hectic to try me down because my, my time zone changes, changes often. Um, but yeah, we did it. We made it
1: work. Here we are. We made it work. You ran out of gas on your motorbike on the way over and had to pop over. It's just such an exciting life. You're just, I could hear the, the activity in the background and you're in Bali and it's like morning time. I'm sure it's beautiful there. It's just, it's kind of that dream life that I think everybody's like, wow. I'm sure it's really hard work too, but also it, you know, it can't suck getting to go to all those beautiful places. So, okay. I'm going to start with
0: that. Huh? I was just gonna say it, it doesn't suck. It's it's funny that all these things still happen regardless of where you are. It's just like a different, a different scenario. Yeah. And uh it's absolutely though happening in in a dream. This was my dream way back before I was able to realize it back in uh I used to read like travel memoirs with like one eye open because you know, <laughs> I was so so drunk and I'm like trying to keep the line straight. And I just wanted to travel so much and now yeah, now I'm doing it.
1: So that is so awesome. Like that's, wow. Um, okay, let's start with an icebreaker. So if yoga were like a competitive sport, let's say, what would your um, what would your stage name or character name be? And would you have a theme song? Oh, man.
0: <laughs> it's funny because I'm actually quite competitive. Whenever I first started yoga, I really wanted to like beat the teacher. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Like, I am really competitive. I come from that background. But, um, so yoga has been really good for me to unwind that. But I think just because I'm watching like Vikings, mm. like a crazy woman right now, I'm so into Vikings. I'd probably be like a, um, I'd be like the shield maiden yogi. That's what I like to see myself as. I'd be some sort of like a shield maiden yogini, something like that. Have you watched Vikings? Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah yeah I'd, something like that something like that and pro- just some epic viking norse music in the background and i'd be super fierce and like probably yes. have some blood spattered all over me there we go how's that
1: <laughs> i love it i love that it's very uh like you know opposite of yogic but also very warrior yeah i could see that i could see that um well, actually
0: all the- because all you of know, the. You- metal- We have a little bit of a we have a little bit of a lag, so sorry about
1: (laughs) not to the That's okay.
0: I was going to say that in in Hindu mythology, though, like um, Kali is the fierce warrior goddess, and she wears like a string of 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 heads around her waist. She has a like a a waistband of heads, and she is like the fierce protector. And they're they're all of these. All of this is actually in all the mythology in the yogic mythology. So it actually does. Go in. Okay. It does. It does. It's arch, arch, um, archetype and, and story, and uh, it's really fascinating. The mythology is quite violent in ways, but talking about you know battling our inner demons, but
1: it's personified with
0: right, yeah, blood and heads and limbs, and it's pretty fierce.
1: I kind of love that. And I did not know that I, it's, it's really sad because I've experienced a lot of the Westernized version of yoga, um, going Mm. to studios and stuff like that where a lot of that doesn't get, um, so, um, but also as peaceful as yoga is and as how, and how relaxing for me, it's also, and for a lot of people, when you're on the mat, you you cry (laughs) unexplainably, uh, or a lot of maybe triggers come up or memory. I don't know. It just seems to unearth a lot of, um, uh, I don't want to say violent internal dialogue, but maybe um, maybe there's something to that. Okay. All right. So you're one of the most laid back people I've ever been around. When I was trying to write a sentence or something about like kind of what you feel like in person, <laughs> I wrote, uh, you feel like a nap in a hammock with a great book in the springtime sun, but like under a shade tree. You know, mm. it's like, mm-hmm. it's just peaceful and it's not fake peaceful. It's like legitimately peaceful. And I want to know how you maintain that. I mean, how do you maintain that place mentally?
0: Well, I don't, I don't, I come and go from there. I can't, mm. it's not, I'm not always, I'm not always like that though. I feel like i probably have more of a through line than I realize sometimes, but I often feel I can definitely get quite, quite frustrated and agitated. And I move forward in my life a lot. Like I feel like there's a sense of urgency often when I get really busy. So I have to pull myself back. So it's kind of a recalibration. But I think that's with everyone, we're meant to be flexible and to change. I think a lot of times my baseline, when I'm not too busy, my baseline when I'm not feeling urgent or stressed is pretty chill. And I even do bring this kind of attitude. I like to think I bring this attitude of like laid backness, even when I am feeling urgent, but I do think I have a baseline of that. I just don't always stay there. We don't know I was meant to stay at our baseline, but, um, right. Perspective. I try to keep things in perspective and I don't always, I get real zoomed in and then I'll zoom back out. And it's just kind of a little bit of a practice of keeping things in perspective.
1: Yeah. That's, yeah. I like your honesty too about like, yeah, I'm not always like that. Um, or, You probably have a lot of practice. You do have a lot of practices in your life that that help you to, um, you know, stay calm on the outside, even when you may be feeling rushed internally. Um, And but like even in your classes and stuff, you you like make these noises like "Mm," it's just very you know, like you're, you're in the moment, like you're just so present and it makes everyone else feel so present and you're not trying to like be perfect or expect other people to be perfect in their poses. It's more just like this very comfortable, um, laid back, you know, type of thing. And I'm so competitive. Like you were saying that, like, it's hard for me to just really lose myself in a moment. Cause I'm thinking about like, am I doing it right? Is, did she change position? Like, it's just, it's that kind of thing. Um, but you just seem totally opposite of that. So, okay. So can you, I know you've written a lot about this. There's a lot online about your story and you've been on a bunch of podcasts, so I know it's out in the world, but can you kind of walk us back through what it was like, um, parts that you want to share, um, in your active addiction? Yeah, you
0: know, I had many different phases. I mean, it was it wasn't a short. It wasn't short lived. So I had many different phases. I think in the beginning, it was um, it was exciting. I did it because it was exciting. I felt in the very beginning, I felt like I had finally like filled myself out, or like one way I put it, like I didn't know that my life was in black and white, like, then until it was in Technicolor, kind of like Wizard of Oz. Like I didn't even know. Ooh that it was in black and white. Right. And I just felt like I was more of myself. I was like really embodied, which is the, par- that's the fucking paradox of this whole thing is that I really felt like I was like me, I'm like me. And yeah. it felt delicious and it was um, incredibly seductive. And what more? what's more seductive than like really feeling like you are yourself in the world uninhibited and powerful. That's what it felt like. So I was gonna do anything that I needed to do to continue that. I thought I'd found the golden ticket. Like, why is everybody, why is anybody doing anything except drinking? Because this is incredible, (laughs) like really, like, wow. And seriously, that's what, that's my my mentality. I didn't, Yeah. yeah. So for a long time, it was, it was, it was that and then later on it was trying to get back to that and then it was you know fewer and far between i don't know if you've seen the little there's a little animation it's only like five minutes and it's called nuggets look it up and yeah anyone who's listening nuggets it's five minutes okay. it really shifts. it's an animated journey it's like an animated journey of addiction and it's like this little bird it's really simple it's really simple animation but he goes and he sees like a little golden nugget nugget and he sucks it up through his beak and then he goes whoa and he like flies and there's like he's up in the sky and it's excellent and then he like finally lands back down and he lands really softly and then he keeps walking and then he sees another nugget and he continues to see to get these nuggets up but every time he sucks up a nugget he just goes a little bit lower it's not quite as high and then he starts kind of like bouncing when he hits the ground and then he like mm. splat hits the ground and then the next time he hits the ground he like makes a divot and then he like can't get himself back up and i'm like oh my god that is what it was. He just wants to get back to what this was like. And he can't, and you can't go back to what it was like. And in my personal journey, of course I had social anxiety. I had some things going on that I was getting away from, but for the most part, I felt like I was um, moving towards something. Like I was getting big in it. It was a lot of sensory Um Um, input. And I, it's, it's not possible for that to continue at that level. And my tolerance got so high that I almost killed myself trying Yeah, um, just just due to that. So that was like, that's a really kind of a zoomed out version of, of that. But I went through many different um, phases with it. Ultimately I was in and out of, I started going to treatment, I think when I was 21, 21 or 22, which felt way too early for me to get sober, like, no, I just wasn't doing it right. So I was, would end up right. going in, but I never really wanted to get sober. I just wanted to figure out how to do it right. That was my obsession because I knew what it, how good it felt and I just needed to crack the code. I just needed to do it right. So I would go to treatment whenever I'd be like, I hit a wall and I'd be broken Something chaotic would happen. My addiction was very colorful, to say the least. And um, but I didn't really go in to get sober. I went in to like because I was in enough pain to do it in the beginning. But once, right when I started feeling better, I never planned on getting sober. I was just like plotting, really. I was strategizing how I was going to, you know, drink differently, or you know, not mix cocaine and Xanax, or not you know, all these little things, or I needed to move, or I needed to like break up with the guy or, you know, it was all of these things <laughs> that needed to happen that was like yeah. causing this for us.
1: Hmm. Hey, do you want to be on the show? Please send us an email at I have 12 questions at gmail.com and 12 is the number one two, And we will look it over and reach out to you and set up a time to do your interview. We can't wait to read your emails and hear from you and meet you. Thanks.
0: So I moved a lot. I moved a lot. I lived in Mm -hmm. um, short towns a lot. It was really easy to hide. I bartended. Um, I lived in party places. I lived in ski resorts where everybody woke up and had a Bloody Mary in the morning. So it was like really easy. I could drink at work. I could drink at not work. Um, But I would also drink around friends. And then I would start needing to hide bottles of wine as well. So I'd have to have a bottle, I'd have to drink in the closet and then drink at the party, or I'd have to, I started having to supplement. I'd have to hide morning drinking sometimes, depending on where I was or who I was with. So that started getting a little bit more hectic because then that's a little bit harder to hide from yourself. Prior, it was e- easier to hide from myself when I was just doing it and everybody else was doing it. I was in a big party environment. Like I was always in a big party environment. Like, right. so for me to need to hide my consumption in a raging party environment was a bit
1: that's when tele-, you know but something's wrong I wasn't listening. <laughs> yeah yeah mm.
0: so in the end feel free to stop me and ask me any questions I'm just kind of rambling here but um yeah, yeah. started to get harder and harder to think that I was having fun even though I took it all the way to the end. I took it all the way to the end, the delusion that I was having fun, Um, even though it was getting harder and harder to believe that because then I'm like in and out of detoxes. I'm in and out of hospitals. I'm getting arrested for things. Um, I try to check into detox, but then I have to leave because I'm shaking too bad or I had a grand mal seizure and I'm in a hospital for a week. Like all of these things and I'm saying it's stress, it's whatever. I'm just making all this shit up and everybody's like... Mm -hmm everybody knows and everybody's just waiting for me to actually just kind of waiting for me to die. Really. My mom said that in the end, she would just, every time the phone rang, she was just like, it was, that was it. That was the last, that was going to be the, the call. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was really, really bad, really, really bad in the end. Um, I was, I had like checked myself out of detox with this like beautiful Lebanese man who was a junk, who was a heroin addict. And Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we walked down the train tracks. And I still remember it was just, it was like such a love story, <laughs> like how dramatic it was. They check us out of rehab. Nobody wants us to go. There's people everywhere. Our families are calling. Everyone's like, no, don't go. And I always had this idea of myself that I was like in a movie. I could kind of mm-hmm. see myself out of a bird's eye view a little bit. And I was like, oh, this is a great story. Like this is a really good script. And we check ourselves out. And you know, to, to everyone freaking out. And they're telling me that he's dangerous. He's dangerous. Like, do not leave with him. He's schizophrenic. Da, 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 da. And we're walking down these train tracks because we have to walk back into Austin. We're like 15 minutes out of Austin, middle of summer. And, uh, we're walking to the closest liquor store and, um, I'm like, do you know what they tried to tell me about you? (laughs) And like they're trying to tell me they were telling my family and they were telling me that you were, that that you were dangerous and that you're schizophrenic and he was like, "Well, <sighs> well, <laughs> I am." And I was like, "Oh, we can, we can work with this. We can work with this, babe." Um, so I kind of <laughs> like <laughs> live in and out of like hotels for the next while and so this last three months i hadn't done i hadn't done intravenous um heroin until these last three months and i started shooting heroin in the end and um ended up at some crack houses in east austin and like it was just trailer prostitution i mean it was just hectic like i started Doing cocaine in, um, like, smoking crack—we call this smoking, smoking cocaine—but in like yachts and mm-hmm. big, beautiful houses, and then you know, to be at a crack house in like a trailer with no wheels on it, with it was—it was quite different. It was quite different, and so this is what I mean in terms of getting really harder for me to tell myself that. I was choosing this, that I was having fun. This is what I wanted to do. Um, in the end, I overdosed, thankfully. Everybody left, that's what happens. Nobody wants to get in trouble, like, fair enough. Um, and whenever I kind of came to, I had to hitchhike across Austin in the middle of summer. And I like had to like frog across I-35. <laughs> and I, like, I couldn't oh my turn God. my head, my head was on, my head was vibrating. Like, I mean, it was not normal. And I was trying, I couldn't, in order to cross the street, I had to turn my whole body really, really slowly to see if a car was coming. And then like, look back to the street. I don't know how I made it across, like (laughs) how I didn't get hit, but I did. And I finally make it back to this room I had rented. That was across from a liquor store that this old Mexican man I had like rented this room from is a sketchy little thing. And I bought a bunch of booze. And I think I had some pills and I was going to like nurse myself back to health. Cause this is what I did back to health. Mm-hmm. And I remember drinking and nothing was happening. There was like no semblance of this being a tonic at all. Nothing was helping. And I like take some Xanax and like nothing is helping because I'm not, I don't have a hangover. Like I've just been, like, my brain's just been electrocuted and I'm like withdrawing like a freaking maniac and I can't figure out why it's not working. And I remember I had just been and got out of like a three month treatment a few months prior. And I remember somebody telling me in there, I like legitimately asked somebody again, I wasn't really wanting to get sober, but I legitimately asked somebody who worked there, like, how the fuck did you do it? Like, how did you, why did you, you know, get sober? And what she told me was that, um, you know, one day. I was like the only one of the only persons in there. I didn't want to be there. Every most people wanted Mm. to be there. I did not want to be there. So this is you know the different attitude. She goes, one day you're going to realize that you can be high or you can be happy, and even though they used to go together, it's never going to work again, and then you'll be done. And that just like went right over my head. (laughs) Like yeah, okay, thanks. And that day. That day when I'm sitting in that fucking little room and I'm doing everything, the only thing I know how to make myself feel better, I remember her saying that. And I also remember like in AA, they used to say something like, um, one day it's just not going to work anymore. And I thought that day that they meant like one day, and they did me, one day like the drugs and the alcohol aren't going to work anymore. But I took it that day to mean like, actually the substance wasn't going to work anymore. Like it actually just like lost its power because I put so much power on this thing. And I was just thinking like, today's the day. It's not going to work anymore. And those two thoughts combined, like I had both of those voices pop back into my head in this like moment of clarity. And then I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Because I didn't start this thing to, I wasn't on a death mission. And some people are, some people just, some people are on a different journey and a different intention, but my intention was to be in my life, to be big in my life mm-hmm. and to feel, and it just wasn't working anymore. And I called a sober living place that I had been kicked out of prior because I was hiding booze all over the house and forgetting where I left it, endangering everybody else was, that was there. And they shouldn't have let me back in. They normally there's one place in austin that takes people who don't come out of a treatment center normally to get into sober living you have to come out of treatment there's one place called the grace houses they have five of them in austin and one of those houses will take a high risk person and that's someone who came not out of treatment and then one of those rooms in this house was open for people who didn't have any money and they had no reason to give me that room back because i just put everybody at risk and they did because the lady who works there is a friend of mine, but she said, I had never heard you actually want help. And I called her that day and I was like, please. I don't even know what I said. I don't even remember what I said, but I like pleaded to her. And she said, I have a bed on Wednesday. And I, it was like three days away. I'm like, fuck. I don't know if I'm gonna make it. I'm like living across from a liquor store. And I think yeah. I probably drank until then. I don't, I don't, I didn't go in there. I didn't go in there completely sober, but I went in there like functionally sober. Um but I showed up on a Tuesday night with my stuff and I said, I'll sleep on your couch. And that I walked in the door. That was it. That was the end. Wow. Yeah. God or that like threshold. Like I really love that word, that that yeah. threshold. We think of it as a doorway, but really like what it really, what it actually means threshing, is to take like wheat or something, and it's when they 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 shake the wheat and they slam it and they hit it and they separate the edible from the inedible. They separate what is what they can eat from what they can't eat. And that's actually what threshing is to separate something. Wow. And it so felt like when I walked in that door, it was like, like, I just like unwound because outside did not feel safe to me. I did not trust myself. Like I for yeah. no reason I should have trusted myself. Like I was like, a <laughs> liability? My friend actually has a tattoo of me. I was just talking about this last night. He actually has a time bomb. That was my nickname. He actually has a tattoo of a bomb on his arm because <laughs> I like, you never knew what was going to happen. And like, that's what I felt like. I felt like a walking time bomb. And when I walked in that door, it was this allowance to be who I was and everybody else was struggling in there. And I didn't want to fucking be there, but I didn't have to be anything other than struggling and trying. Yeah. And it saved my
1: life. That's insane. That is a crazy, awesome story. And that's so weird to me that, and I've heard this from so many people, and I don't know if it's the universe or what or why or whatever, but like for some reason, when we're like in the pits, in one of those moments, these random fucking phrases come back, or something. something flies into your head that somebody said five years ago or that I, that I had rolled my eyes at, or that I was like, okay, cool, thanks, you know, like what? And, and then we just have this knowing that we're done even though we've been done for me, I'd been done many, many times before I couldn't stay done. And, but that last time I just knew it was over. I knew it was over and I don't know why or any of that, but I had, I had phrases come in too. And you called it a moment of clarity, which was weird. Cause I was not in a good space had what, you know, like I was not okay. Um, but I did have this moment of clarity and, and the fact that, you know, you, you were allowed in, right. And just all these things had to happen, but you also had to be ready. And, oh my gosh, I didn't know your whole story. Like I've gotten, I know bits and pieces from things and, you know, things I've read and stuff like that, but I never knew um, the whole thing. And also the way you talk about how it morphs, you know, and how we still keep convincing ourselves that like, this is fun. I'm having fun. Right. And then the circumstances get so shitty at the end that you can't, you know, and, or the chemicals stop working. Um, oh my gosh. Okay. Um, that was was a lot. Okay. I'm going to read this from your website really quickly. So when you're talking about emerge recovery, um, you just, the website says when it comes to addiction, it's never just the thing. It's grief and trauma and patterns and past experiences and relationships and shame all bundled up together. It's a cycle of promising you'll change and punishing yourself when you don't. Feeling out of control, but not knowing how to grab the reins. Sometimes it's meeting rock bottom, but there's one thing it's not. It's not you because you are not your addiction. And that means you are the one who gets to draw the line in the sand. You are the one who has the power to create lasting change? So what are the tenets of Emerge Recovery? You know, just how does it work? What is it, you know? I'm sure you could talk for hours about it, but give us a, you know, overview.
0: Yeah, the kind of the way that I I think it's really important, you know, just like what you just read, that we that we realize that that we're we're not our addiction so that allows us to actually be empowered that allows us to do something and but it's really important to know also that we can't do it alone that's just not the way that humans work like we we have to do right. it together and i created this program emerge to be a support container for that i have been in and out of aa i have been in and out of numerous treatments and iops and detoxes and all of these different things and I always felt like I was trying to fit in the box. And that's what a lot of people say is like, this works or it doesn't work. That's, that's what you got. This is going to work for you or you don't work. It doesn't work. And this won't work. And I really remember, um, you know, back in the day, AA was really challenging for me, but anything would have been challenging for me. So I want to like make that really clear that nothing was going to yeah. work because I wasn't, I wasn't going to let it work. So not saying that like okay. Emerge could have opted in and like done this for me cause I wasn't ready, but I remember something in the big book and it's, there's a piece in there that is talking about that this program works and it says, um, but there are such unfortunates and they are incapable of being completely honest with themselves. So essentially saying that if this works, except for these few people that are just unfortunate <laughs> and I'm like, nah. <laughs> And that is really hard. And other people remember that part of the book, because like, if you you feel like this isn't working for me and then you're like, oh yeah, you already think that you are outcast from society. You already think that you already are separate from everything. And then that part of the book, you're just like, yeah, of course. And like that you're in or you're out kind of mentality is really damaging. And I don't, I think that there's so much good thing about AA and actually like I've reconciled my relationship with it once I could see from a different perspective. Um, But at the time that was really challenging. So I really wanted to create this program that I don't know what's gonna work. I have no clue what your formula is or what your code is or what your, your unique combination lock is. But here are some really supportive things and take what works, and leave the rest. That's the thing. And what it's compiled of are things that have helped me. I don't expect them to work on you the way that they have worked on me, but they may. So stay curious. And Buddhism is a big piece of it. Buddhism and neuroscience both are really big piece of it. Both of these really humanize the human condition. It's like, oh, you suffer? Okay, you're human. Oh, you get angry sometimes? Okay, you're human. Oh, you want things? Yeah, number one thing about being a human is that we want, we crave, we desire. So this stuff has been talked about for thousands and thousands of years. And we're wired with these ancient nervous systems that have been wired this way for way more than thousands of thousands of years. So right. to look at it that way really depersonalizes this, I'm a fucking addict. Like there's something wrong with me. It's like, your pain is not personal. It's unique, but it's not because you've done something wrong. It's not moral. You're not being punished. You're just being human is hard. And so both of those things really were supportive one from more of a spiritual side. And the other one, it's like, oh, this is what happens in your body. This is what is happening when I drink. This is what my, like my dopamine system looks like. And when I get limbic hijack and like, how could I not? do this when this is what's happening so that just humanizes and normalizes it and that was a big that is a really big piece and we also um bring in lots of different like modern psychology i love internal family systems which is in a nutshell of not having one internal self there's not this one thing and then i act you know there's all these, I, like, I have one solid thing. It's like, no, we have different parts of ourselves and I have part of wow. me that really wants to drink. And I have a part of me that really wants to get sober and I have a part of me that's just scared about the whole thing. And then I have another part that's just trying to fix it all. And to understand that component as well. And to know that all the parts are like, just trying to do what's best for us. And they're just don't know how that's really, really powerful. When we look at attachment theory, we look mm-hmm. at polyvagal theory, which is like figuring out what our nervous system wants and needs and why it acts the way that it acts. Um, yoga to create practices that bring us into connection with our body because addiction separates us. So finding ways to soothe our system without needing to reach for a bottle Um it's, it's a mod podge of different things. Jack brings in some Ayurveda, which is another lens to look at ourselves through. Like, what is my nature? What do are my tendencies? She also brings in like some mantra and some mudra, which are just like different practices to bring in intention. And again, some things aren't going to resonate and other things you're like, holy shit, that. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that's, that's the gist of it. And it's just a stellar program. And I'm really, yeah, I'm really, it's been really supportive and it's my favorite thing that I do. And I do lots of things.
1: And it's like the sangha piece too, right? That community, the, that togetherness and supporting each other. And, you know, but when you were talking about IFS, that's crazy because that's what I've used with my therapist for years. That's with the firefighter, the exile, the manager. Right. And I always just pushed the parts away that were that were frustrating me or making me feel uncomfortable instead of saying, come on in. Like, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to protect me from? Because like you said, really, everybody's working together in there to try to help me. Um, But sometimes one part would take over. And but I didn't know any of that. I didn't understand. I was just doing, you know, um, what I did. And I remember I remember when I was first going, oh my God, I have a problem. I have a problem with drinking and cocaine and Xanax and Adderall. Like this has all become a weird science experiment and it is not working anymore. The whole goal was to like not feel and now I have to take so much to not feel that I don't even get high anymore. So like I don't even know what the point is and blah blah blah. But my thing was if I learn about it, then I won't do it anymore. So if I learn and so I went into study research mode of like, oh, it takes my brain twelve weeks to replace all my dopamine and serotonin after i do cocaine so like so i shouldn't do it right i I was like self-knowledge i will understand all of this and then it will make me not want to do it and but no the first time something was in front of me the next time i was like okay i guess i'm doing that and but i you have to like in your your work talks a lot about this too of having to it's a lived experience like you almost have to live it and experience it um and each person does that in a very unique way so it makes sense that what's going to help them change those patterns is going to also be very unique but it's a combination of proven things neuroscience you know buddhism like things that obviously have worked and that you can not like it's a buffet but you know you can put it together the way that it's going to work for you Um, one of my questions that I had on here, which you already kind of touched on it, but it it was, did you ever try AA or recovery Dharma or any of the other more established, you know, kind of old school programs and what didn't work, or maybe it was missing for you. Um, and I think you, you touched, you know, you explained that. Um, and that's one of the reasons I started this podcast because some things just don't resonate and I don't want someone who is looking for help to walk into AA and go back out because that didn't resonate because when nowadays, anyways, there's, there's so many, you know, options, but was there anything else that you, because people have a lot of issues with AA, myself included. I have a lot of issues with the literature. There's a lot of stuff, but I was so desperate when I got sober that I would have done anything because I was scared I was going to die. And so And I've evolved over the past nine years that I've been in recovery and I've, I've needed, and I've pulled in all kinds of other Mm -hmm. Buddha, Buddhism has been a huge part of it. Neuroscience therapy, um, you know, CBT stuff, EMDR, whatever, all kinds of other things, but, but also recovery Dharma or refuge recovery, just where the language was less uh, Christian-y or less sexist or less, um, 1930s, you know what I'm saying? Mm Um, so like the steps and the traditions, like it, it helped me, it saved my life. I still go to traditional and secular AA meetings. So like, I'm not trying to knock it at all, but I have outgrown a lot of those things. Um, and so was there anything else that stuck out to you, um, about other things that you had tried that was missing? Because I'm sure, emerge. Maybe emerge now. Is that right? Let me mm-hmm. scan the environment and let me let me go create something together with all the things that are missing. We're missing.
0: Well, I think that you know, what I was trying to do was trying to create like an umbrella of something to get to the people who didn't fall under this like umbrella because there's a lot of people yeah. out in rain. Um, so that's kind of where this all came in. But I really resonated. Well, I remember going to like the Zen Center in Austin. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love, they have great meetings there too. Yeah. Yeah. And so i was always leaning towards the Buddha, towards the Buddhism a little bit. So refuge recovery, I really like, and I've done, um, I've done, uh, I've done a retreat with refuge recovery, which was awesome. Uh, meditation retreat, which was great. So I really resonate with them. Um, and, but that's really about it. So AA, I was in and out of AA for man a decade probably not a decade. I think I went to my first AA meeting probably when I was like 24. So I was in and out then since then. Um, and it's so different. Really wanting to encourage people that it just, it's, it's depending. It's so different. If you don't like yeah. one meeting, never write it off, go somewhere else. Yeah. It's also dependent on the people and the culture. And that, culture, totally,
1: totally. It's like a franchise. Like every situation you walk into is completely different depending on who you're with, where you are. And, you know, I started going toward to women's meetings only. I started going to more secular AA because I was so over the dogma stuff and whatever. Um, But I've always resonated more with Buddhism than I do with Christianity or any other belief system. And to me, it doesn't even feel like a religion. It feels like a philosophy. I like, I like the guidelines and and it makes sense to me. It feels peaceful. Um, Whereas because of the way I was raised, sometimes, sometimes things steeped in Christianity or dogma or this monotheistic approach makes me feel very nervous and judged and protective and triggered. And I don't want to feel like that when I'm trying to be peaceful and sober and stuff. So, um, okay, good. It's good to know. I I like to hear people's experiences with different things that they tried. Um, When was the last time you thought about drinking or using um, or you had a resentment or maybe a traumatic memory. You know, just one of those zingers, those moments where it hits you, whatever it is. Um, and kind of how do you work through that? If that even happens for you anymore, I don't know. Well, I definitely have resentments come
0: up about stuff for sure.
1: I'm definitely not resentment <laughs> for But um, you know,
0: the craving to drink actually, I cannot believe it. I would have never believed it. And I remember people used to tell me like, one day you're just not going to think about it. And I would be like, fuck off. <laughs> like, <literally. laughs> like, I was like, Oh really? You know, I was like, no, nah, not for me. Like I'm going to think about this forever. Um, we think we're so special or so different, but yeah. it just, it just went away it went away. And a big thing of it for me is that I I think I mentioned earlier is like I always wanted to travel ever since I was a little girl. I was born mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, I lived in a town of like 200 people and I wanted to be a dolphin trainer and I wanted to travel the world. Like it was mm-hmm. kind of tragic. <laughs> so I always wanted this like big life and wanted to like go big places and I did wasn't going anywhere. It's just like at the bottom of the bottle all the time. So very quickly after I got sober, I started traveling. Some things just like clicked into place. And I got asked to do this, and then asked to do this, and then yoga, and then I was teaching. And like I kind of got thrown into all of a sudden. I'm like, this is the other option. Like this is what I can be doing. Keep it. Keep it.
1: So what is Brett? Ah, uh, it was. This would have like been like you're doing it. You're doing what? it. You're doing the thing that you want. Like that's crazy. That's crazy. I live where I live now. I live about I live in
0: Australia, and I, about fifteen minutes from from the coast, and they're freaking dolphin pods of dolphins swimming whenever we go surfing. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me! Like my little girls out there, just like <laughs> 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 so excited. That's incredible. Um, but but I know that. I feel very fortunate for that, for that, for the way that that all of it went. And I know that that is not common. Um, Like in the beginning, when I first got sober, I was found a job as a waitress to a place who I hated working there, but they hired people that were just coming out of treatment. Like it was something that was known. Had I had to stay in that job for five years and maybe had a couple kids and my partner was gone. I don't, that would have been a totally different thing. Like, I just want to really just speak my privilege there that I was in, I didn't have anything when I got sober, but I didn't have to deal with a lot of mental health issues. I didn't have, I did have family that was like paying for my sober living and I did, I didn't have dependents.
1: So I, I, I had freedom to, um, to go pursue. Yeah. 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 But you had to put yourself in that position by getting sober Perfect. first. otherwise. Right. Totally. um, But I'm not just saying like just go travel the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, Totally. Different. It's a different thing. But the craving did just go away. And the most that comes up for me now, and it's not a craving, it's a thought. And sometimes, like, I'll see a glass of wine or something, and I'm like, there is no barrier. I could go and pick that up and just drink it. And it would rock my world. Like it would change, I don't know what would happen. And it's actually feels so innocuous that it's just sitting there in a glass and I could just pick it up. So sometimes I'll have this weird thought. It's not like a yeah. craving to do it. It's just the thing like that thing that will ruin my life. It's just there, it's just around. Like it feels so innocuous in a way. And sometimes I'll think like, am I never gonna have a glass of wine again? And that feels just weird, but it's yeah. not a grief and it's not a sadness. It's just like a weird thought. It's
1: weird. It's weird. But
0: it's not a craving. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong if you have cravings either. No. It's just, that's my, that's what? just my, that's
1: my, uh, truth with it is that I, I'm and like, people are that bottle, like, no one would slap it out of my hand. <laughs> like, <laughs> And that's weird. That's a weird, And I've had those thoughts, too, where I see, you know, somebody left like half a beer on a table or I think of like a 12 ounce bottle of beer could literally ruin my life. It's just sitting there minding, minding its own business. But if I decided to pick it up and put it into my body, like that little thing has the power to absolutely wreck my life because I don't know what's going to happen after I put that first one, which is so, it's so weird and bizarre and something I used to center my life around. Now I hardly ever think about, but when I am in a tough spot, um, like, and I don't, it doesn't happen very often because my life is so full. My life is so full and I just don't think about it. But when I'm, well, when I'm super happy and or excited, sometimes I'll have a fleeting, If I see people patio drinking on the lake or whatever, I'll have a little fleeting thought of like, man, those were the good old days on Lake Travis, like, you know, some fun shit went down. Right. But it's like the highlight reel. I get honest with myself, whatever. Or when I'm really scared, fearful or sad, my, you know, we lost my, my dad to cancer at the end of September and it was horrible. And we watched him suffer and um, grieving sober is something I've never done before. And so, um, I'm like, yeah, fuck this, this, this is horrible and it hurts. And I don't, how long is this going to last? You know, like, when is it over? Right. It's only been five months, but like, of course I'm like, are we done yet? Um, Mm -hmm. and feeling like a newcomer feeling very unsteady. And so I'm not going to say I haven't had cravings, but I have had that voice. That's like, you know what? You don't have to feel sad right now if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. there's something that will make it go away right and i know to call bullshit on that voice i know exactly what that is but it's weird because that just doesn't happen you know anymore um because it's rare that i want to change how i feel but but lately i have i have wanted to change how i feel i want to escape i'm i'm tired of being sad you know um so it's it's really weird but it's like you're saying it's not a craving it's not an obsession it doesn't like Hijack yeah. my entire freaking day and mind and everything. Um, actually, it scares me. <laughs> I'm like, I whoa! This. I see you. <laughs> I think
0: it is. I think it is really something to pay attention to. Like, it's not like a physical craving, but those voices. Yeah, it's it. It is something to kind of. I don't know if it needs, it's just something to be curious about, I suppose. Yeah.
1: To ask questions be like, what's going on with that? Because, you know, I'm an adult woman. I live alone. I can go pick up alcohol whenever I feel like it. No one's stopping me. And that's scary. Sometimes I'm like, whoa, who yeah. let me out of the cage? You know what I'm saying? Because I remember how I used to be, but I'm not that person anymore. So, okay. Um, one more thing I want to say real quick before we move on yeah, is that one thing,
0: what one thing that comes up for me that, I was just curious if it comes up for you and this kind of scares me when sometimes I think I've made it up or that. Um, I'm exaggerating. Sometimes uh, there's a part of me that's like, was it really that bad? Like, did you, are you exaggerating? And I'm always like, I have to really check myself when that comes yeah. up. It's like yeah. a form of nostalgia is really a, a little bit of a delusion. So this delusion yeah. part comes up and it's like, you're, <laughs> you're an adult, like, is it you really like that really happened like exaggerating it a little bit like no
1: yeah, it's weird i definitely <laughs> I've definitely had those thoughts too of like I've I probably overreacted I'm probably actually not an alcoholic or you were going through a rough patch you just did what you needed to do to get through and you're better now you're healthier now you've done all this therapy you've done all this program like you know what your limits are right it's that whole conversation and I do have to check myself too, of like, you know, because anytime, you know, anytime somebody, I don't know, I can't speak for other people. I can just speak for myself. And I never, I never drink for fun. I never drink socially. Um, I drink to check out. And when I drink, I want other things to go with it and I will get it. And so that turns into a whole other being awake for four days type of deal. So yeah, it's never, I never was like, I want to have a beer with dinner. Like, I don't even, I don't even understand that. Um, so, but it's good to talk about it out loud and to just say like, yeah, you know, it happens and the thought and the action don't have to be the same anymore. And for me, they were, if I had a thought, I did it. I just, it was like, there was no separating the thought and the action. Um, Which, you know, when you have space, when you have time from it, it's weird to look back and think that it was so dominating, you know, um, but yeah, it's a gift to not be, not be, um, obsessed all the time with that. So when I've been in your yoga classes, whether they were online or in person or whatever, um, I noticed something very different and it's comfortable. It's approach, it's approachable. It feels very spacious, um, and like irreverent it, in terms of like not needing to follow rules or expected, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, and like one of your sessions is called morning wiggles, uh, And there's this coffee cup yoga one. I don't know. It's just, it's fun. It's creative. It's lighthearted, but it's a different level of self-care and self-expression. So like, how did you, how did you develop this very cold style of like practicing and teaching yoga? Like, where did it come from?
0: Hmm. Well, I used to, like I mentioned in the beginning, whenever I first started doing yoga, I wanted to like beat the teacher. So I was really into like power yoga and all of right. the all of the fancy postures and very specific alignment. And I just started to feel a little claustrophobic. Like it started to yeah. feel like I, my body wanted to keep moving. Like I didn't want to like stop right here. Like yeah. I, I feel myself just wanting to kind of keep moving. So I just kind of leaned into that and it was kind of a slow unwind I've always had a bit of like a rebellious nature in a way. So that kind of still, still was showing up on the mat as well. Of like, well, what if I do it this way? What if I don't want to do it though. <laughs> so After following the rules for a while, I'm kind of like, mm, well, I'm going to try this other thing. And I, I just feel like that it felt like it fit so much better. Yeah. So I just began exploring and realizing that, um, I wanted to move my body in different ways. And I was feeling, yeah. I was feeling boxed in by the typical yoga. Also beginning to realize that people have a certain view of yoga and one of which is not very inclusive. Yeah. So I started teaching on YouTube a long time ago, pretty much right when I got sober, not long within a, within a year I was teaching on YouTube. So a lot of feedback that I get from, from YouTube is that people don't go to classes because they don't feel like they fit there. Yeah. And that like, breaks my fucking heart. So I think that getting, hearing from students and hearing from people um, really shifted that for me as well of realizing that I need to make sure, I don't know, I'm not seeing who I'm teaching to, but I know some of the things that they're feeling. And I wanted to start to be sure that they knew that they were welcome there. And so that also changed the way that I moved and the way that I spoke about moving. And then also just beginning to take, you know, trauma-informed trainings, understanding the human condition is that we're all trying to feel like we're doing it right. We're all trying yeah. to feel like we fit. We're all trying to feel like we belong and we need to not let yoga be another place where we're have all this criticism. It's like, can this be a place yeah. where we can just like sink in and relax? Like if you want to try to do it right, all the other areas of your life, like, let this be a place where there isn't any right. And um, yeah. that's just as hard for me as it is for anyone else. Cause I like to do it right
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes, that like makes perfect right. sense. I like to do it right. I like to I really like to be right. Yeah, me That's too. Hard. Too much. But it makes <laughs> sense. It makes sense and it it like what you're saying access and um people's comfort levels um with the positions or their knowledge of yoga, or are they wearing the right things? Do they have the right body type? Like, it's just, it's a very clicky, like you say, it's, it's marketed to a very, very specific demographic. And, um, that's why I loved at your retreat. It was just such a cool mix of people and people were just moving in ways that felt good to them and wearing whatever they were wearing, you know, it didn't look like a bunch of clones doing the same shit. It was like more like this exploratory with your own body, but also yoga, right? You're learning yoga. You're learning about the positions you're learning about all these things. So, um, I think too, um, I used to do poses that were hurting me Mm -hmm. Um, it didn't feel good to my knee. It didn't feel good to my back. It didn't feel good to my neck, but I did it anyways. And I held it and I did it the way it was meant to be done because I wanted to do it right. Meanwhile, my body is like, this, this is not good for you. Get out of this position, do something else. But I couldn't do it. I wouldn't get in child's pose. I wouldn't surrender. And that's like, that's crazy. I'm here to do something good for myself. And I'm sitting here like wrecking my knee. Uh, because for my body, that position isn't right for me. Right. And in another class, I wouldn't feel comfortable to get out of the pose, but in your class, I would totally just, you know, do whatever I wanted, you know, or just change and shift if it didn't feel right. And you say that a lot in your instruction, you really encourage that, um, to try different things and to, you know, I don't know, it just feels very, um, welcoming,
0: yeah. I think we just have to be reminded. I have to be reminded. I'm reminding myself yeah. just as much as anybody else It's like, we just, you nature is to forget and we have to be reminded you can do whatever you want. Like yeah, what do you want to do? Um, right. what, what feels good in this moment? It's not going to be what felt good yesterday. Like, I just think that that's, that's it's just important. And hopefully it goes off the mat, you know, it's just, well, it's a, a metaphorical mat, like really, yeah. You know, yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause in our culture, I think too, we push and push and push and push, even though we're tired and our body's telling us things, we just keep working and we keep doing this and we keep doing that. And, um, I've done it before too, and in, in weight training and other things where, you know, I've had injuries and my body's trying to give me a warning sign and I just push because, you know, mm-hmm. um, suck it up. You'll be fine. You know, or it's crazy. That's crazy. And I see that now. Um, but there was this, connection of mind and body and yoga, which is why I get so emotional sometimes when I do yoga, because I'm connecting, you know, and listening to my actual body. And that's not something I've done most of my life. Um, so how is, how is has your experience revealed to you the ways that yoga is connected to our recovery and mental health or movement in general? Um, you know, like what? I know there's scientific things you could probably talk about, but how has it changed your mental health? Just being in movement all the time.
0: You know I, I I've always been trying to kind of figure this out, and I think that there's many different components to it. In the beginning, I just thought it was magic. I was just like, it's just magic. I don't know why, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all it needed to be. It was just like it's working. It doesn't matter why it's working, but I am too inquisitive for that. I think a big component of it for me for yoga, specifically for vinyasa, the style that I teach is that it really gets me into my breath. Like I actually don't think about my breath during the day. Most of us don't. I'm not thinking about this, like always like inhaling, exhaling, but breath is so key. It changes everything about our system. It's really, it's wild. I'm doing some breath work trainings right now. And the breath is, the breath is a superpower. That's really wild, but we don't utilize it in certain ways, or we don't regulate it, and it's not yeah as rhythmic as it should be in our day to day lives. I notice I hold my breath a lot, especially if I'm feeling stressed or if I'm like in a lot of emails, I realize that I'm holding my breath. but in my yoga class, my body just like unwinds, and when I move up, I inhale, and when I move down, I exhale, and there's this natural rhythm, and my breath, through my whole practice is like at a steady metronome. And I actually mm-hmm. think that that's a massive component to it is that I'm regulating my nervous system through my breath and
1: the movement reminds me how to breathe. Yeah. That's what's happening. When In one of your, in the opening of one of your practices, you say something like it's good that we're moving, but more importantly that we're breathing. Right? Like you say something like that, like yes, the movement's important, but the breath in terms of calming down your nervous system or whatever, that's, that's paramount in um, which is what, is it the holy, holy tropic? Cause I saw a retreat you have coming up in Spain. Is that what that is? The breath work? Okay. I, Cause F- I don't even know what that is. I've heard of K- Kundalini. Okay. I got to study it
0: now. Go look it up. It's powerful. And there's, okay. there's probably some stuff. One of my friends, uh, Christine, mm-hmm. who used to live in Austin, she's in the recovery community who I'll be doing it with. She's in Portland now, but she comes down to Austin and does some workshops, holotropic breathwork workshops, rocket world. I did it first in treatment, so she was one of my therapists in treatment. She brought holotropic to my treatment center, and again, I think I told you, I was like, nothing's working for me. I ain't got no inner child. I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, you know, all of this. I was the the director of the treatment center. Um, yeah. so that I was like for three months trying to throw a tiger into the water. She was like, you, you, and I'm like, I know I'm sorry. Um, I was intense. Um, but <laughs> so we go into this thing of breath work and it was going to be bullshit and whatever. I don't know what it was. And we like laid down and we breathed for two hours and I was pew, rocked my world paradigm shift. Wow. It helps you access some of your subconscious and it just begins to come out and rewire. It's actually, I don't like to really compare it this way because we're not looking for a high, but it's fairly psychedelic in nature. It can be. Uh, um, and, it, but it, it's just with your breath. And I think that was so big for me too. I always assigned power to other things outside of me to change the way that I feel. And that was the first time I was like, what was that? Like who slipped me something? That was my body,
1: your own body. Yeah.
0: Oh my God. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And it's not always one of these poof experiences, but there's something that happens. There's always something that happens. And it's this conscious being allowed to come out and to kind of do, do its, um, sort, sort itself out. It's, it's pretty amazing. I'm doing the training right now because I, I believe in its, in its power and this summer I'm working with Christine, the same lady who brought it to my treatment. We're working together now. After all of that, she was my therapist for many years. So it's quite a compliment to like work with your old therapist. I'm like, you know all my shit. Yeah. She's talking- <laughs> she put up with me through so much stuff. Like I was just crazy. And uh
1: so all this years later, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm okay. <laughs> that's that's full circle. That's pretty awesome. No, I saw, I was looking at your retreats coming up and I was like, ooh, what is this? And I did a little bit of research, but obviously I need to read more. Um, so yeah. you refer to um, Pema Chodron, Tara Brock, Kevin Griffin, so many of the greats in your resources, part of your recovery uh, website that you kind of recommend to people, right. To like expand and think and read and whatever, who is, it's probably hard to pick just one, but who's your most cherished spiritual teacher?
0: Um, I would probably say Tara or Pema. Like that's whenever I'm in pain, whenever I'm hurting, I will either pick up a Pema book. So I have her more in books and I'll just open a page. Yeah. And it's really medicinal. And, or I'll listen, put on a Tara broad podcast. And almost, yeah. anyone I, almost anyone I pick, it's just so, you know, we live in this culture now where it's like something for this, especially being on YouTube. It's like yoga for risks, yoga for bad days, yoga for something. And something about the Buddhism, it's like yoga for humans, words for when <laughs> you're. In. And I can just open it up and it's like, it, yeah, yeah. So there's something about that inclusivity that Buddhism and especially these two teachers, yeah. lots of teachers, but these two teachers lay it on where it's applicable. And I find mm-hmm. something that I need when I, when I, when I open up to them.
1: Yeah, I agree with Pema for sure. And that's really the first, my first foray into Buddhism, I guess. And I think that I have that little yellow book of hers it's just like a little yellow book and you can or when things fall apart but people i started reading those things and it really resonated with me and didn't make me feel uncomfortable but i will go read some pema quotes sometimes when i just need to be soothed or to be reminded the shinpa or whatever to not get hooked and like just so it's reminding but it's real life right it doesn't sound like theory or theology necessarily it's she's just so accessible okay that's awesome um, yeah and it's
0: not big and flowery and it's not necessarily saying that everything's gonna be okay
1: nope it's like this hurts doesn't it and you're like it does. <laughs> it does thank you thank you for acknowledging it and that's what i love about her is her honesty because it's like yeah this this is what we are we're people we're humans we have a lot of feelings we suffer um and learn you know it's but like when you, yeah.
0: This validating Buddhism feels validating yeah. to be a human. Yeah.
1: yeah. Cause you don't feel alone and you know that nothing's wrong with you for feeling sad or feeling angry or craving things or wanting stuff or whatever. But the other thing is when people, I don't know how, how many times you've been through grief or losing someone close to you or whatever, that people want to fix it. Yeah. You know, People want to fix it. They want to tell you something or they want to say something that is ridiculous and insensitive and makes it worse Um, because they want to make you feel better. You know, and sometimes you don't need to feel better, like you just need to feel sad. And that's what you're supposed to do when you lose someone that you love. Just be sad. I'm here for you. If you need anything, I love you. That's it. That's all I ever want anyone to say to me. Not, you know, everything happens for a reason or one of the oh, shit people say birth. to you when you're going through stuff. It's just for like, her. are you serious? What, so she's we just like, yeah.
0: Like a PSA, <laughs> loud air, put it on billboards, like fly it in planes, little smoke rings on the planes. Like <laughs> not everything for a reason. Like, no, no, stop it.
1: Stop saying that. And, and, and nobody, and and I just, it doesn't, you can't fix it, you know? And I don't want to try to fix someone else's pain either. I just want to be there with them or for them or whatever. Um, So, yeah, she's just like, wow, this really sucks. Doesn't it? You're feeling terrible, huh? And you're like, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So your bio, we're wrapping up here. Your bio says that you're a trauma-informed yoga teacher and addiction recovery educator. What does trauma-informed mean, first of all, for everybody else? Like you hear it a lot, but like, what does it actually mean? And like, does it tie back to your own personal trauma as well? So
0: trauma, trauma-informed kind of means like I am, I'm acknowledging, like I've kind of, I've been I'm acknowledging trauma and I'm informed about the way that it works in humans, what it does. And I'm aware that we've all experienced it in some way. And I try to teach in a way that is supportive for that. So like I try to, um, so for me, that might look like, it depends on the scenario. Sometimes if you were working with veterans or something, people with PTSD, you would teach in a very certain way and you would be trained to teach. Knowing, trying to be aware of their triggers. You're never going to know what's going on with somebody. But you may um, let people know where the exit is. You may hmm. not move around the class as much. You may um, not use smells. There might be certain things that you would do for a certain population. In a general class of okay. trauma, you know what I mean? So it's 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 yeah. trying to be aware of the trauma that's in the room. If you're working with sexual survivors you might cue differently you might not talk about the body as much um you might you know you're trying to it just depends on how you would kind of what what you're what area you're teaching in but every class really should be trauma informed really everybody should be trauma informed and that's really just understanding the way that it works the way that it works in the body and knowing that we walk around with these nervous systems that are imprinted by our experience and that we've all had challenge and that um, it makes us act in certain ways or not act in certain ways. And it's right. kind of just giving permission for that uh, to happen and to know that we don't know. So it's it's a lot okay. of different
1: things. That's-
0: it's, very, it's very fascinating and it's very important and it really everything should be. I actually don't kind of like saying trauma form yoga teacher sometimes. Cause I'm like, we should all be trauma informed. Like all of us. I don't, this not, shouldn't be special, but it's, a, it's important. It's a really important to just to understand the basics of uh, not specifics. You don't need to know all the specifics, but just the basics of like the, our humanity and how, and how trauma
1: affects the body. Good. Thank you. Cause I didn't know what it meant. Like, is it a certification? Is it like, there's just some, cause with each population it's different. It has to be different. Right. And so like, even nowadays, the language we use and things we used to say that we don't say anymore because it's offensive and it's insensitive and this awareness around, you know, or pronouns or understanding, but you're saying it's even more, it's even more dialed in than that.
0: It can be, but it doesn't need to be. It can it be. So if I was, if I was working in a certain place, then you can go and get trained to work in that certain place. Like okay. if you wanted to work in like I volunteered in prisons before. So I want to be like a little bit more clued in about like why, what's happening here. If I work right. in treatments, I'll probably, I'll teach a little bit differently. If I'm teaching with veteran, which I don't, but people do, I would teach a little bit differently. Um, being aware of the population. It can right. be that, or it can just be, uh, there are definitely certifications and it can also be um, being, there's trauma, there. Definitely, I think that a training is is very, very important. I've taken trauma-informed trainings. But it can can also be general of, like, I know the way that trauma works and that we are – because we're interrelational beings, it affects all of us. And it allows us to be a little gentler and be a little bit more kind, I think, and just aware of, like, maybe that person's not being an asshole. Maybe they are really dysregulated. Or maybe they're triggered. Or maybe they – you know, it just allows us to look from a different lens.
1: I love that. I mean, in regular everyday life, like you said, it seems like we should all be at least at some level trauma informed. And, and when you're around people who have PTSD or veterans and there, or there's a hypervigilance that might make you nervous or make you wonder what's going on. Like, well, I mean, there's a story there, right? There's a reason for that. And when you said telling people where the exit is, I've never even think of that, but it makes perfect sense, you know? So like, and sometimes we can offend people or trigger, or you know, ups, upset them or um, like on accident, right? If you don't know, perfect. if you're not aware. Okay, I just wanted to it's understand never what we're going to be perfect. Meant. We don't know. No. It's all knowing that we don't
0: know. It's like I'm yeah. gonna. I, there's so many. There's eight billion different. Experiences experiences that are walking around the planet right now. So it's like, yeah.
1: And usually we don't know. That's the thing. If you're going to class and you know, you're in a recovery center or a prison or this or that, like, you know, the population somewhat, right. You can't paint with a broad brush, but you sort of know, whereas in day-to-day life, we have no idea what's going on with people. We have no idea what their story is. Right. And so, um, so what is something that you're grateful for that only recovery would have allowed to happen in your life? Besides everything, but like one thing. (laughs) Um,
0: I'll say getting to reconnect with my mom, with my mother. Mm. My addiction was, I don't know, maybe even harder for her than it was for me. She almost, yeah, didn't, didn't make it through. Um, And that seemed like an irreparable seemed pretty irreparable and it wasn't Hmm. it was while i was still drinking they they had essentially had to cut me off in the end like my dad would take my calls but mom couldn't talk to me anymore it was like too painful yeah
1: wow that's that's huge i'm glad you guys were able to restore um that relationship because when you were talking earlier about her telling you that when the phone rang she assumed that it that, that it was the call saying that you were dead, you know, or whatever. And my mom said something to me that was similar um toward the end. And you know, that's hard to hear. Um because yeah. we're we're out there thinking, I'm fine, I'm fine. Nothing bad's gonna happen to me. Keeping but it like, to myself. They, yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping it I'm not hurting anyone but my right. And meanwhile they know the truth and they know that it's likely that you know, they probably are going to get that phone call someday if we keep doing what we're doing. So I love, I love that you got that back as a result of recovery. Okay. Final question. Um, what's a golden nugget of advice that you'd like to leave our listeners today regar- regarding their recovery adventure, mm-hmm. and people who are in recovery or maybe they're not yet, you know, just because people yeah. who listen are like all over the map. So yeah. do you have a golden nugget for us?
0: What I, I think I'm going to say two things. Okay. The one that I normally say, because I think is is to leave room for possibility because, oh man, we think we know, but if we don't like this, I don't know mind, like have a little bit of, I don't know mind because you have to leave space for what is new and what is truer, truer forms of yourself, truer forms of what's possible. You have to leave space for that to come in. So to, I would have never wrote my story. If someone had been like, what do you want? You can have anything you want like nine years ago, I'm nine years sober too. I would have been like, I would have sold myself short on like what was actually possible. I would have never believed it. I would have never believed it. So it's like leaving, yeah, leaving space for that to happen and yeah. not needing to know, not to think you know. Yeah. And the other thing, which has been just a mantra of mine of late, which I actually got from Noah uh, Levine from Refuge Recovery when I did went on his retreat, Yeah, we sat for a week. In silence, and every so often he would say, This is what it is right now. <laughs> and then, like, three hours later, he'd be like, This is what it is right now. And I'm like, Damn, every time he said it, every time he said it, I'm like, You're right, <laughs> this is what it is right now. Whether I'm like off in thought, or whether I'm like, This sucks, or whether I'm like, oh, I can do this, or whatever is happening, it's just like, This is what it is right now, and it's gonna change. That's so crazy. And it's like, it's always appropriate and it's always helpful. This is what it is right now. This is what it is
1: right now. That's huge. That is huge because like when I meditate, I have many times pictured myself lifting the top of my head and looking inside Right. I'm an observer. I am not myself. I am not my thoughts. I'm not even with myself when I'm meditating. I feel like I'm observing. And I really just I do. I look in there and I'm like, holy shit, like what? There's so much going on in there. And it's not an instruction or anything like that. Um, but it changes. It moves so quickly and it changes so often. And I think I used to make decisions based on thoughts that I thought were permanent or feelings that I thought were permanent or circumstances that I thought were permanent. I was making life changing decisions based on very temporal things. Right. And I didn't, but I didn't know that. Um, even to this day, if I get a sore throat, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to be sick forever. Like it's still my first instinct to think that if something shitty is going on, it's always going to be like that. And if something really great's going on, when is this going to get taken away from me? Um, it's just it's but that's how my brain works um mm-hmm. but it's not true right it just because it, my brain thinks that doesn't make it true so to hear you, to hear you say this is what it is right now like i'm going to i'm going to use that do take it please and also that open curious and we always think we know or we want to think we know because i feel safer when i think i know something for sure and the fact is i don't know shit and i and i you know and like you said look at your life look at your life that you're living i mean it's incredible and you're helping other people too on top of that. So mm-hmm. I just, I cannot thank you enough for joining and yeah. answering all these questions and sharing your story. And, um, I'm going to be at another retreat. Yes. Check it out. I'm kinda- I'm kind of scared of the breathing one just because it sounds like very, um, scary, like a lot of crying and inner child stuff. (laughs) Um, and I think having just, having just lost my, that's the first time I've ever lost a parent. And so it feels very disorienting. I feel very unmoored. I'm remembering things from my childhood that I thought I had dealt with. And it's just, it's like, it's way more than him dying. It's, it's a bunch of other stuff. Um, and so of course I'm scared right now. I was scared to go do Reiki last week because I was like, oh, don't don't bring it out. But super out. And I want, I want to find out more about that breathing because it sounds sounds pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. Well yeah, use yeah, using discernment of you know yeah, forward motion isn't always the best motion. It's like sometimes, you know, where to be soft, where to push forward, but wow. yeah super tender space right now and yeah what's the
1: always asking what's
0: the best what's the best way to
1: take care of you right and it's moving out of the head space into the heart space and that's a really hard thing for me because i feel safer up here even though it's crazy and dangerous in my head i still feel safer here than i do here and that tenderness though i have no choice now but to be tender and it's kind of a gift um even though it's horrible it's actually um you know as with everything else, I've had to be forced into things that are good for me. So <laughs> Same. Same. we're also going to Thailand
0: in November and it's going I to be, epic. Saw, I saw that
1: northern Thailand. It's my Thailand. favorite venue
0: in the world. Like my favorite, my favorite venue. It's, we've, I've. this would be my fourth retreat there. We haven't been, I haven't been back there in like four years, I think pre-COVID and it's, it's uh pretty spectacular. So
1: well, you got I'm, an option. We- I'm going to be yeah. at one I need a vacation anyways.
0: Well, I'm actually going to jump off because I'm going to talk to my mom because we talk now.
1: (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much, Cole. Absolutely. Okay. I'll see you soon. I appreciate your time. Have fun in Bali. Ciao. Okay. Bye.